Hi, Patience. Hi, Miriam. Welcome to the Overcoming Your Story podcast. I'm so grateful to have you as a guest today and uh, for you to share your, your story and your message. So what would you like our listeners, who are mostly women, we, we um, encourage to overcome their story, what would you like them to take away from the interview today? Um, what I like um, any woman or girl listening to this podcast is, first of all, to believe in yourself. Believing in yourself, which has to do with the inner work, trusting yourself, trusting your gods, because there's no one who is going to believe in you apart from you. If you cannot believe in yourself, there's no one out there who can believe in you. And no one knows you better than you know yourself. Yeah, that's an amazing message. That's exactly the reason why I started this podcast. So, And uh, there are many systems that hold us not believing in ourselves. So um, you are an activist. You are a trauma awareness um, um, activist. And uh, when I saw your profile on Instagram, I was just so amazed that a woman who comes from a context I know so, so well, from the Northwest province of Cameroon, you, you're sharing this message of mental health awareness and unapologetically. So I will let you share your story because it's an amazing one. So please, patience, Abonge, who are you? Um, <laughs> where are you calling from right now? Let's start with that. I'm calling from the UK. Um, I've been in the UK for, I came here in 2016. My husband is in the military. So Prior to coming to the UK, we were in Germany for six years. Mm. So, uh, because you know how the army works, you have to move from place to place. So, yeah, I came to, oh, I went to Germany in 2010. So left from 2016 to the UK, um, right up to this moment, yeah. Wow. Um, so, so um and you're a mom of two, right? Yeah, I'm a mom of two, um, a boy and a girl. Amazing, amazing. So how how did you grow up? In what context did you grow up? And uh, do you want to share with us, with our listeners about that? Um, yeah, it's, I grew up in Cameroon, um, mostly with my grandmother. Mm. I used to grow I used to live with my auntie and later on I moved to live with my grandmother and from there that was where I left um, my grandmother's house before getting married and moving to the UK. And not with your mother? No, not with my mother. So I lived with relatives and my um, grandmother and yeah. So as a small girl, how did that, how did you perceive that, that you were not living with your parents and mostly the mother, the attachment figure, right? Yeah. So apparently when I was living with my auntie, I thought she was my mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had in mind that she was my mother and her husband, but her late husband used to be my dad. That's what I thought. But I later on found that, that they were not my parents and, that affected me psychologically. 
because now I have to think everything that they did for their own children, I felt like they're not doing this for me because they are not my parents. So at a very young age, I was already feeling traumatized psychologically. And growing up in Cameroon, where you come from, you know, a child has got no right to voice out their feelings. So I just have to live with that. And yeah. that's how life was. Yeah. So at what age did you realize already that they were not your parents? I lived with my grandma, my aunts from the age of four to about eight years old, I think. So in between five to eight. Oh. I'm not very sure, but yeah. That's really very young. That's really yeah. very young. And you know these things and there's no one to turn to to ask questions. Because... There's no one to tell me what's happening. You just know your mother. My mother used to be in Doala, so all you know is your mother is in Doala and that's all you know. Mm. And you don't you know why, anyone why she's in Doala, why she's left you here and all of those things. Those questions, no one ever answered them. Did she used to visit you? To be honest, I met my my mother for the first time when I was in, when I was going to Form 1. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was the first time I ever saw my mother. That's like 30? Yeah, 12. 12, yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. Yeah, I, I have a similar story where I grew up with my great-grandmother, but my mother used to visit and I always wondered why she never took us. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, let me try to look at my questions here. So I I found, I, I did some research about you, of course. Then I found um, beautiful videos of you making lovely hairstyles and then and then after I found information on Instagram where you're sharing about your mental health journey how did you find your voice in that powerful way how did you break out of that stigma dogma we grew up in um you know when you there's a time or I had come to that point where I started asking questions to myself like What's my purpose? Yeah, I love doing hair. It's a passion. It's something I really loved doing while I was growing. But now I've come to that age where I've got a daughter. I've got a story. I've got this dysfunctionality around my family and the African setting as a whole. So how am I supposed to bring up my daughter in this kind of a conflicting situation that I've got at hand? Because it has to do with something that you have to break a pattern and I have to do it so my daughter can learn because I don't want her to go through the same things that I've gone through. I don't want her to not be able to express herself. And the only way I can do that is show her how to do it and equally speak up for those who cannot do it for themselves, especially in our African community where it's a taboo to talk about mental health. And beside with my personal experience, and I, I had um, very lovely support from my family around me, no doubt. But on a personal base, I think they still don't understand what mental health or the impact of mental health or mental illness. Because what I say is everyone has experienced mental health, but not everyone has experienced mental illness. 
whereby yeah. people get confused with little worries, not little worries, but worries. As they take worries to compare with major depression, which the, the two are just two different things. So, so when you want to talk about you having a depression and so on, like ah, uh, you know, be the first place where you don't get depression. Yeah, yeah. killing you because no one can see how or no one cannot, nobody can see your mind. Yeah. And then I had a friend, a very dear friend that I lost and who died from her mental health. I had conversations with her and I was trying to help her when I was going through a major depression. And at that time I had the courage to encourage her because I was going through something that I have gone through before. Even though I have experienced major depression in 2018, yeah, 2000, no, 2017, and now I'm experiencing it again in 2019, and then I lost a dear one mm -hmm. to something that I have experienced. So that day I said to myself, whenever I get out of this depression, I am going to talk about mental health. I would use my story to inspire those who are struggling and try to make an African community understand that mental health can actually kill someone. It's something you don't see, the feelings you don't see, but it's actually, actually very, very dangerous, I would say, and can kill. So I just, and at the end of the day, I'm like, what if I die with this information? It's not, at the end of the day, we all die. Mm -hmm. What am I leaving behind that's going to empower someone? What am I leaving with my daughter to carry on once I'm no more on this planet? So at least I think that's a legacy to leave with my daughter to say, okay, this is something that I started. You can now take it and encourage other people and make a difference in our community. So people can openly talk about mental health to say, I was mentally ill or I am mentally ill, I am psychotic, I am depressed and people should take that seriously. Just like someone will tell you I've got cancer. People even take flu, like I've got a flu seriously than someone who has got depression. That's true. That's yeah, it. So. And uh, you're so right. Uh, you said in Pigeon, uh, you know, be first person for, for, for get uh, depression. You're not the first to get depression. It's like, get over it, right? Yeah. Or and, snap out of it. And snap out of it. It's We hear that so, so often. But there are things that, for example, um, I, I, I write, I talk a lot about uh, childhood trauma because there are things, for example, that a child goes through that they cannot forget when it becomes trauma, right? And you hear people... You can hear it in the language. Um, I can remember as if it was yesterday for something that happened 20 years ago, sometimes 30 years ago, because the overwhelm they feel in that moment, there's no one to even voice it to that this happened to me at six years, seven years. They, that feeling gets stuck inside and they grow up and then this can lead to depression, anxiety. And if you try to voice it, people tell you, ah, but that happened a long time ago. Where are those people now? You should just look forward and continue your life. And then actually it shames you because you feel, but what's wrong with me that I cannot look forward and continue my life because this thing is impacting me. But what we need to do is recognize what it is and then um, deal with it, you know, go get help for it. So how did you get help? Like, how did you 
break out of the stigma, out of the shame and the guilt of the community to go look for help patients? Um, I, like I put in my video, I was in a mental institution in 2016 and again in 2018. So I would say that helped me because I always say to myself, if I was in Cameroon, maybe I'll be picking papers on the streets because I've come to self-realization that those people on the streets were just neglected. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't get the professional help that they needed. So I put myself in that place and say, if I was not in England, I definitely would have been a part of them on the streets. So I honestly had to struggle. Yes, medication I'll say is good. It brings down the symptoms, but like you're saying, this is me still going through trauma. I know the causes to the things that, or the things that caused me to be mentally ill in the first place. But the people around you do not see that, just like you said, it's just get over your trauma. It's not, it's not as easy as, as it sounds. If you've not walked in someone's shoes, definitely you cannot understand what they're going through or how they don't even know how to go over what you're telling them to go over. So I'm trying to make people around me understand that it is not the medication that is important at this time. Yes, medication is important. It, 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 it subsides the symptoms, but the problem is still there, which has to do with my trauma or the things that I've experienced that I need closure to. And they keep insisting, move on. You won't do it now. There's nothing you can do about it. Just move on. And I'm trying to say, I need healing. I need closures. I need answers to questions. I'm not doing anything with these answers. I just need to know. And then I can get closure. And then I can find peace with myself. And so when I realized that these questions were not being answered, I felt like I was being ignored again. Like I said, I was silenced as a child and then I feel like I'm still being silent as an adult. Then I start asking myself, like, do I want to live this way? I think there are people out there who will understand me. There are people out there who connect to my story. There are people out there who tell me, okay, I've gone through this. This is how I went through. So I was just like, put the story out there connect with those people who get it yeah. because people who don't get it are people who have not lived your experience. So they'll definitely talk to you based on their perspective, which everyone is right. I take everyone's advice as good advice, but again, you've not lived my story and you don't know how it's impacting me. And this is clear example. I've been to a mental institution twice to tell you that I know exactly what the problem is but you can only help me with the symptoms. And that was exactly what pushed me to just, you know what. And since I did this, to be honest, I think I felt better from how I used to feel because yeah. I saw reactions from people. People have sent me messages to say, oh my God, they have been going through this, but they don't even know how to voice it out because they live in that community where people cannot talk about it. It's a taboo in 2021. So I was like, Wow. What you say resonates so deeply with me. 
Um, I can see that you're free from that shame and that taboo that eats us up from the inside. Uh, I also started talking about this when I decided, like, I don't care what people think. It does. It's not even my problem what other people think of me, you know. But that helped me in so much shame. Like, I didn't even have words to tell people around me exactly what my story was. Like, now I moved to Canada and things I post on Instagram. Some people reach out to me like, I always knew you. I never knew this about you. Through this, yeah. I'm like, yeah, but I never even knew how to even tell people uh, this is how, this is what happened to me. This is how I feel because they shape, we shame feelings. We shame feelings. I thought, I thought st- telling people that I was sad was a bad thing. So I would always pretend that I was okay and things like that. And you know, like now I don't care what other people think. It's, I mean, it's their opinion, you know, or they can think. What it counts to them. It counts to them. I don't discredit anyone's opinion because everyone is right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's so important that you, you speak up because we have to change this mentality um, of disregarding mental health. It's as if, if we talk about feeling some, someone is going to die. It's like the worst thing ever, you know, but we have to change this. We we definitely have because I think intergenerational trauma keeps on being transmitted through generations in our families because we don't speak, we don't learn. We do as our mothers, as their mothers, and no one changes anything, you know. And some people we are we are just comfortable with the past reality, which is definitely devastating in our communities. It's not helping us. No, it's not. It's not. You can see in my family, there's no trust. There's no, people are not talking. There's a lot of uh, separation of bitterness, you know, and it comes from all the trauma people have been through. They are not talking about it. Everyone is comfortable talking about their neighbor, their sister, Mm -hmm. but not Mm -hmm. about themselves. Mm -hmm. Nothing about them. You speak to people, nothing, like they have nothing to say. "Ah, This one has done this. This one has done this. And sometimes I just want to say, and you, what have you done? You know, but uh-huh. they will say you're you're rude, you're this, you know, and we have to find ways because these this kills our kids, you know. This I, I I've been speaking to some family members I've never got contact with. I decided that I want to get contact directly with without manipulation and talk, and and you discover things that you think you went through alone in your family. And you see that actually other family members went through that and they are younger. And I was thinking if we share this knowledge, if we talk, these things will not continue. The same perpetrators will not keep attacking all the young women of the family because people silence it. That's not that let's it's the, the weight of what we others think. Can you talk about that? <laughs> I- at a very young age, to be honest, I was that kid or that young girl who never really cared what people said. But it got to a point where, okay, now you have to be very careful what you say. You don't want to offend a family member. You don't want to offend someone close to you. Now I am very guarded of what I say. These are now the people that I am scared about what would they think of me if I say these things. But I realized that at the end of the day, 
no one really cares. People don't really care as we think. You, you're just frightened for no good reason. And you being silent and feeling frightened, it's killing you. Whereas you're there thinking that the person that you're really thinking that, or the person you're really scared of cares, they don't care. So when I came to that self-realization, and like I said, at the end of the day, we all die. I looked around me and I see people who have inspired me, who have died. I think of when we die, we, can, we, we, we just cannot say anything. And when I die, no one, everyone's life is going to go on. But what is that thing that someone would always remember me for? My voice not caring what whoever thinks or whoever says or whoever, because at the end of the day, people will talk. Those people who are talking are the people who don't resonate with your story. They have a different story. It is not your story. They don't relate, so they will talk based on what they know. If they don't know your story, if they've not lived your story, if they've not lived close, anything close to what you've experienced, those are the people who would bother or people who would talk. And so I'm not talking to those people. I'm talking to the people who can relate. I'm helping the people who can relate and who cannot talk. And I don't bother about the people that talk because, like I said, it's not their story. So I had to come to that mindset. And, you know, what? people who talk are the people who cannot relate. Because anyone who relates to something would never say anything negative about that thing, especially if that thing is helping them, especially if that thing is encouraging them. So I just had to come to that mindset and just do whatever I want to do, so long as it's helping someone and not hurting anybody. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're right. Your tribe is out there. And when they hear your message, they resonate, you know. Yeah, when I saw your videos, I was like, wow, I have I have to speak to patients. She, you know, we I, I could feel a deep connection to you and to your work. And uh, I encourage you to keep going because it's so, so important that we come out in the numbers and and say these things out in the open. You know, it takes time to to be in that position where you can say it. And as you said, so many people cannot do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit because this is a this is a, for my own personal interest. But I know um, I've been on this on this um, app called Clubhouse, and I've been in many rooms where I, a lot of young young African women they struggle with um, in their relationships to their mothers. So I wanted to ask, and I do struggle in my relationship with my own mother. You know. Mm-hmm. So how did you make peace? Did you, how is your relationship with your mother? You know, as our African parents are, they have a way to apologize to us by not coming out straight. No matter how much they've hurt you, it's hard. They are experiencing their own traumas. It's hard for an African mother. It's, it's, it's something new to them. It's something strange to them to come up to their children or to their sons and say, I am sorry. So in my personal experience, I had to come to that place where 
I was like, I had to understand because I, at a very young age, had been asking things no one was telling me who I was. I had started finding out answers, asking the questions being rejected. The first time I ever went into a crisis, partly was because I was trying to find answers to a lot of things around me, around my family. And I got rejected by some of them and was left all by myself and went to hospital, came out and stuff like that. So I had to come to that place where I had to do research on my own to understand a lot of things, whereby I came to understand that mothers can only give you what they had. And I had to relate that with my mother and her mother, great-grandmother, and I saw that lineage. I saw that um, that experience or that experiment happening in my family. And so I am, okay, mother is going through her own trauma. My mother does not even know how to feel the feelings because she's not educated on things like that. And so I am at the place where I can only understand my mother's trauma. I can only understand that she is going through something deep. Because if I have to wait for her to acknowledge those things, I would never speak up. If I had to wait to the point where she would tell me, oh, I am sorry, I did, for an African mother, for something that is new, it's going to take me a long time to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. So I, I just had to understand that she doesn't even, or most mothers don't know that they are going through trauma themselves. Because pain and, 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 and suffering have been normalized in a society whereby people think it's okay to go through what you're going. You'll not be the first person. You'll be the, so, you know. Yeah. But it's different with me. My story is different. I feel it differently. And I think I don't want to live in that. And I don't want to bring up kids in that. And I want young girls in the society to feel better from what I was feeling. So the relationship with my mother is just understanding her for who she is or what she went through as a young girl. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I think I found my voice after getting this shift too, because I was in the stance where I was waiting for her to, as a little girl, like even though I was a grown woman, waiting for my mother to come, you know. And um, when I understood that that mother I was waiting for to come is not the mother I have. The mother mm -hmm. I have is who she is. And mm -hmm. I have to take her for who she is and mm -hmm. let go of that mental image of that idealized mother that yeah. was loving and warm and mm -hmm. see my mother, as you said, stuck in her own trauma and dealing with her own issues and take it from there. And then from there, I found freedom as a person. Because then yeah. because that. you don't hold that you don't hold that grudge. No, the relationship to be very honest will not because she cannot make up for thirty years or thirty something years lost in my life. Yeah, there's nothing I can do to get those lost years. And the only way I can move on because what was holding me back is still that grudge, that anger, that you know, why were you? Why were you? All the blame games. But when I came to a place of understanding to know, okay, could it be that, you know, and then I tried to relate 
how I grew up, my grandmother relating it. I'm like, if I, this is what I saw, therefore she had it worse. Mm. And knowing who my great grandmother was, I'm like, my grandmother took it from her great, my great grandmother. So they're just who they are because that's all they could offer the best they had. Yeah. And these women went through total oppression. Exactly. You know, in societies where they are not valued and they, people decide on their lives. So, you know, Uh and, uh, but it's important. You said something about intentionality. You don't want this for your daughters. You don't want this for your life. And you want other young girls to feel okay. This is so important because we have to choose that. We have to choose to be okay. At one point, uh, we, it might take a lot of work, but it's important to know that even though we went through so much trauma, we have to choose and work on it every day to be okay. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. you touch on that? On working and being okay. Yeah, on choosing to be okay. Um, yeah, because like I said, if you don't choose to be okay, you would stay in pain. If I didn't choose, if I had to wait to get answers to the questions that I've been asking myself for a very long time, those questions kept me awake. And the truth is, while I was awake, the people I worried about, the things I worry about were all asleep. Oh, yeah. But I was awake and it cost me my mental health. It took my sanity away. So this is me. I've been in this situation twice. and then. I'm out of it and I still keep thinking about those things. Experience has shown me that the only place you take me is to a mental home. Do I want to keep going there? No, I've got kids. I need to raise my kids. So what do I need to do with my life that it's going to feel stable? Just me getting up to give a message from someone, oh, you inspire me, makes me feel better because it's helping to heal me while I heal someone. I cannot say I'm 100% healed. I am healing. I am healing why helping someone heal. I am healing why helping someone gain their voice. So that's the best I can do at the minute. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. I'm also in that process. Healing while helping others heal. Yeah. Um, so now how how do you how do you take care of your mental health on a day-to-day basis? Um, the first time I went into a crisis, that was in 2016, and it took me a whole year of major depression. Like I was in deep depression where I could count from, it's not literally, but I could count in my head for one to 100 just to get a leg out of bed. And I mean it. So before I get out of my bed, I have to do 200 counts in my head, 100 for the first leg, 100 for the other leg. And then I had to put an alarm for everything. Even to brush my teeth, I needed an alarm. So I was living with an alarm clock. And then it got to a point, and then I I took this medication that made me so bad. Like, I went to hospital in November. I left in December. And I left from a size eight to a size 16. Oh, wow. In that one month. I was majorly depressed and depressed on depression, I can say. Looking at myself, putting those pictures side by side, it was, but I'm this person who has never, ever given up. 
I was in a situation where I saw no hope. I was in a situation where I saw no light. Like if you have ever experienced major depression, then you know what I'm talking about. You don't even see any hope for the future. But there was this deep, 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 deep feeling within me. It was like, you know what? You cannot see any hope that you will be okay. I don't know how, because that's the mentality I've always grown up with. Like, okay, this is hard. And for somehow it always worked for me. I cannot make my way out for this, but I believe that was going to happen and it happened. So I still had that belief. And I started looking for ways of how I was going, because to me at that time, the only thing that could give me confidence was going back into the, I'll share those pictures because this week is actually, um, from the 10 to the 16 is actually mental health week. So just to, you know, inspire someone out there to see the difference of how I was and how I went to that I came out and then came back to that same size because that was my goal. Like the only thing that I'll know that I've done something great for myself is getting back to who I was from what I am now. And so I started exercising at that time. You lose motivation for everything because even before going into hospital, I used to exercise every day. I went for a run, I went to the gym, I did Zumba and all of those things. And now in this depression, I had zero motivation for anything, even eating food. Sleep was all I did. So with this size, I started doing research and I finally had to do, I I stumbled on a video with this guy who was doing water therapy. Hmm. And I did that. What is that? And it worked. Water therapy, you just have to do water therapy where you detox your body. And it actually worked for me. And at that time, I shared that picture. I shared that picture, but I never told the story behind that picture. This was a surprise. What happened? How did you lose? People are interested how I lost the weight, but they never knew what caused the weight in the first place. But I shared with other ladies, I'm like, I did my research. You can do your research before you do this. I can encourage you or motivate you on doing this, but I did it for a reason and I did all of my research before doing this. So I did a water therapy for close to a month and I went back to that size. And then later on from there, I started doing back my exercise, running like 10 kilometers almost every day. And then I went back to hospital again. Oh. And then I came back with another week that I had to go back to that position again. So the second time you went to hospital, was it for the same reasons as the first time? Yeah, yeah, psychosis, bipolar, anxiety, and all of that. Yeah, the same situation was what I faced in 2018. So I came back and I am so, I just feel like if I look at myself, like, like I said, I've come to a place where I think I am the only one who can give myself the happiness that I deserve. And part of it is how I look. I'm not, you know, that is, how I see myself, how I look makes me feel good. So I had to, by every possible means, it was mentally challenging. It's very hard. Every time I talk about it, people are like, oh, wow, I'll tell you, it's hard. I did it because I did it for a reason. If you are doing it because I did it, it might be very challenging for you. But if you're doing it because you have a reason why you're doing it, then you can do it because it's mentally challenging. That's the hardest thing I've ever done to challenge myself. And then I did it again. And then I went back to how I want to see myself. 
And then I carried on with exercising and now I do walks in the morning, running and um, other exercises, yeah. That's amazing. And you know that um, it's all recommended that for your mental health, you exactly. physical exercises you cannot do without, um, especially when we come from a lot of trauma like this. Um, I told my, my therapist the other day that um, I'm exercising because I want to go back a bit towards my pre-pregnancy weight. Mm-hmm. And um, I told her it's not only for looking good. Yeah, that's part of it. But mm-hmm. the other part was that in my childhood, I was always fit and ready to run if there was danger. And that that alarm is still in me. I need to be fit to feel safe, yeah. you know? And uh, and she was like, wow, interesting. Can you tell me more? Because these are things too that, other people don't understand. They will only see the outside aspect. They say, oh, wow, how did you do that? But there are other reasons too. Because Yeah, like I said, you need to have a reason. Why? Yeah. yeah, you have to have, you know your why. And then, because just seeing another person and copying that will not take you far. You cannot even succeed when you want to do that because yeah. someone did it. Yeah. yeah. It has to be your process. It's like healing, right? Healing is a mm-hmm. process. It has to be yours and you have to see what works for you. Um, mm-hmm. It can be therapy. It can be different things, medication uh, for people who are still deep in shame, maybe just talking to a close friend first, you know. Oh, yeah, talking. I found talking yeah. really, really helpful because before, prior to going to hospital in the first, the first ever time, I had stuff stored in me like, you know, like... It got to a point, I always say, it got to, you know, when you shake a Coke bottle and it explodes. That's how I it got to that point. I always say my head is like a computer and the computer just crashed. That, like, I will never, ever tell anyone what I was going through then. Like, never. Close friend or not, I will not tell you. You might know the basic, but the real important things that are really killing me, I will not tell you. Because I was never brought up to speak up. I was made to understand that my voice doesn't matter. I was made to understand that I am not worthy enough. No one gave me the chance to speak. No one listened. No one cared to know what I was going through. So when I grew up, I grew up with that. Like, you know, if I tell you something and you give me the impression that it's not important, I still feel that way. Okay, it's not important. And then I keep it to myself. If one person has made me feel like it's not important, then the entire world will equally take it like it's not important. And then I keep it to myself. So I stored a lot of things to the point where I had to get that mental breakdown. The second time, the same thing. I was still keeping things a lot. But after that second time, I was like, you know what? Talk, whatever you say, whoever takes that information, because you don't want to spoil the family name. You're keeping, you're trying to be, protective of the people around you. But I got to that point where like, if you die, these people will leave. Yeah. Because it got to the point I felt like my mental health was going to take me. Oh, I said, let me die because God wants me to die. Let me die because I had to die. Let me not die because of my mental health because my cops will be angry. I always say to my friends, (laughs) my cops will not be happy. Yeah. No, you're so right, you know, and you're you're right. The people we're trying to protect, it means it's as if it's a setup for 
Let's protect the family name. Let's protect our village. But let's not protect ourselves. Ourselves, yeah. You think of it, it's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Because the first person you have to protect is yourself. Yourself. But because of society, uh, family, community, and- we are taught to not even love ourselves, to not connect to ourselves. So that we stay slave to the family and what the problem, you know? the problem with children or with with us who are traumatized is the fact that you even get to the point of a mental breakdown is because there is that negligence when it comes to your mental health from yourself, from the people around you, from yourself because you are not you've not come to that awareness that you need you. You understand to love yourself which has to do with first, not caring what people say. Second, you know, speaking to yourself, telling the truth to yourself. I never used to tell the truth to myself. I I knew, I know or knew all the things that bother me. I know all the lies I tell, tell myself. I pretend out there I'm happy, but that's a lie because I know for a fact that I'm not happy. But I'm just trying to paint that image out there for everyone to say, oh, she's looking happy, oh, all is well. No, all is not well. And patients, we are even encouraged to paint that image. My my mom used to say, and it's something like, it doesn't matter if you're not doing well, as long as everybody thinks you're doing well. I'm like, it matters. (laughs) You know? So it's, 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 it's up to you. Yeah. It's up to you because the same people, I keep saying this same people who want you to protect the family name, when you die, they'll give you a defeating barrier. And then your people you're still scared of will make sure that they are well fed at your funeral. So why bother? That's so true. That's so real. That's so true. Wow. So um, how was it for you becoming a parent? Because I faced a lot of challenges on wow. that front. I, I don't know. I was, I was, I was an adult before becoming an adult. Mm. I was an adult kid, adult child. Because at a very young age, I had to look after my cousins. And yeah, so moving to England, a country where it's just you and your husband, no family member. I had both kids through C-section. Had my first son, your discharge was being through trauma. You had no siblings, no brothers and sisters. And then you're, oh, wow, finally God has blessed you with a child where you can finally have someone to talk to. A year and a half, you find out he's autistic. You're traumatized. And then now you have this child where you're sitting in the pediatrician's office, office and you're pregnant with your daughter and then you get this news that he might never talk so that is i think that is when i i was already traumatized i was depressed in the past but that was i think that was the break the the beginning of my breakdown because i was going through depression that at that time i had not given my pain in name, like I had not given what I was going through a name because I did not know what I was even going through. Mm. But all I knew was I was crying almost every night when I had my daughter because I'm thinking. And then I had these overwhelming messages online where you see, oh, some children might never talk, their siblings might be the same. And you're pregnant and you're thinking, oh, 
What if your daughter never talks? What if, what if, what if you have what if in your head for the, for nine months? So it was really, really tough. It was really tough for me. And doing it all by myself with my husband and no family around was something really tough. But we overcome those things and we move on. Yeah. I know you're a fun mom. I saw you guys singing on Instagram. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. That's nice. Oh, patience. Um, I'm so grateful for this interview. Um, so what last thoughts do you have for our for our listeners? We are about to wrap up. Okay. So um what I want anyone to take out from this um interview or from your podcast is that as Africans, we need to learn how to start speaking up for ourselves, standing in our truth. Before I used to hear standing in your truth, standing in your truth, I never understood what that was all about. It's like, what's my truth? How do I need to stand in my truth? Standing in your truth is setting yourself free from those things, the taboo, the things that people think are taboos, those experiences that you've gone through that society, the community think we cannot talk about them because it's, it, it's supposed to be an African traditional thing where you should not talk about them. So we are forced to be silent. So we have to learn to start using our voices. We have to learn how to love ourselves. It's very important. This, Like I said before, I used to think love yourself was, or self-love was buying clothes and looking good. You know, but I realized that I was looking good on a mess, like putting good clothes on a mess. Oh, wow. That mess which has to do with the things that I was going through that people never saw. Because when I put out that story, a lot of people were shocked. People who knew me from childhood, my classmates were like, oh, wow, okay. I have always been that little girl who looked good because I had aunties who give me these nice things. And so... I used to give this comparison. I was like Cinderella from a glass house. You never, you would never, you would never ever know that I was going through anything just looking at me physically. So that was how I defined self-love back then. Looking good for people to think everything is okay. And then you shut the door and you're dying inside. No. Self-love is happy, being happy from within. Knowing that this is me, this is my story, I own it. I'll be happy if this story is helping someone. I'll be happy if I'm making use in a positive way with this story. So if you speak up, if we speak up as a community, a lot of things are going to change. And I think people will realize that some of the things that we think are taboos or taboo topics we would start realizing that instead of keeping them and dying, the amount of suicide will equally reduce. Because that's another thing in a society that it's 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 killing people. Another reason why I had to put the story out there is because you know I am on social media. I was doing hair, but I came to realize in the genre, this hair, like I said, it's a passion. I still do it, but I've taken that to the background. Like, no, I need to help people with something that I think I have read ignorant comments when someone commutes suicide ignorant comments people are even blaming cops you're talking about someone who died you are blaming a cops 
And so I used to feel really bad because I have been in that place where I could take my own life, even in hospital, if no one was watching me, I could take my own life. And because people, no one even knew I was in that hospital. So if I had died in that hospital, the story out here would have been something different, something else. People saying whatever they want to say about my cops, but no one ever knowing what I went through. So it was my wish to say this story has to be out there, help someone who is who might want to commit suicide and will think, oh, okay, I think I should value my life. So let's speak up as a community, speak up as a society, not only to help ourselves, but to help those who cannot speak for themselves. Because there are a lot of people out there who would wish to speak for themselves, but they are still trapped under that stigma mm-hmm. in our African community. Yeah, the shame. Yeah, that overbearing shame that destroys everything, that silence. Oh my, it's so powerful what you said. Thank you so much, patience. And please keep speaking up. It's it's amazing. I know where you come from. <laughs> I lived in yeah. Bermuda for one year. But, um, my father is from Gorketunja. I, I really uh-huh. understand the context you come from, that when you stand like this and say, this is my story, wow, like you've broken so many barriers and your children will definitely be proud of you and you should definitely be proud of yourself. So... Thank you so much for this interview. I'm I'm really, really thankful. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for having me on as well. (laughs) You're welcome.